before we get into the text, and especially if you're, you're new to Christian things, that text may have felt like um, strange foreign language <laughs> with all of those different names. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But, but before we get into the text, I want to take us on a little imaginary journey. Uh, so come with me. Now, I must say at the beginning, before, before I, I do this, I'm not making any comment on the particular situation. I'm not making a political comment about what should or shouldn't be done. So just hold your reserve on that. But just come for a little imaginary journey. And imagine yourself in Israel and you're a wealthy, fairly wealthy, fairly comfortable business person. Now, you've got a nice home, you've got a nice spouse, you've got a nice car, and life is pretty good really. You're kind of at a distance to the conflict that you know is going on, and you're a synagogue goer, you're religious, and you go to the synagogue, and the prophet, or the the speaker, stands up, and it's a person's got a word, they say is from the Lord, and it, it starts out as a word of encouragement, at least from your perspective, that's how you're feeling. And he says, you know what? The Lord, your God, he says that he is roaring from your capital, Jerusalem. He's on the move. And, and he's going to destroy Hamas. He's going to step into that situation and he's going to flatten them. He's totally going to wipe them out. Because, because the Lord has seen and he knows what they did on that southwestern corner of your land. But not only them, also Hezbollah in the northeast, he knows about that too. And he's going to flatten them as well because of their strikes that they've made in your northeast. The Lord knows about that. In fact, all of those conflicts that you're having all around your border that you feel under pressure on every side, the Lord is coming and he is going to fight for you against your enemies and they are going to be destroyed. Because they are violent and cruel and they have killed your people. And the, but the prophet doesn't stop there. The prophet then says, and then you too, business person, you also are in the firing line of the Lord. And your nice house is going to be turned into rubble. A bigger, more powerful nation is going to come and take over all of you. And you also, for your sins, are going to be destroyed by the Lord. Because though you're comfortable, you know that there are ways that your business mistreats people. You know that there are ways that you cut corners so that you gain financially, but others continue in a state of poverty and are slowly getting squashed out 
things are comfortable for you in your house, but you turn a blind eye when somebody points out some error about how you're conducting your business. You, you sil- very, very calmly silence those voices that try to point out the wrong things that, that your business does. And you get back in your nice car and you drive home. But somebody on the other end of that is further suffering in poverty because of those choices that you're making. And the Lord says he sees and you're going to be destroyed. At that point, the person in our little exercise might be thinking, really? Really? These things are very different. What I'm doing, what they're doing, are very, very different. Now, hear me right. I'll just repeat again. I'm going to leave the Israel-Gaza-Hezbollah conflict to the side now. I'm not making comment about that. It's just an exercise to help us perhaps feel how an Israelite may have felt upon hearing these words of Amos. But what Amos would then say is he would say, I know that they appear to you to be very different sins. And there is a sense in which, yes, your two sins are very different. Theirs are violent, external, bloody, ruthless. Yours are not that way. But there's there's something about both of your sins which is the same. And what that is, is that both of you are using your power, the power that you have, to advance your power and comfort at the expense of others. They've been doing it in a very brutal, violent, external, come in, smash it up, drive it out way. You've been doing it in a slow, suffocating, grind them down kind of way. But both of you are using other people to increase your own power and comfort. Both of you are mistreating the people that I've made so that you're taking their lives so that you can have your life. And Amos wants to, what's going to be the hardest thing now for all of us, and it would have been the hard thing for the people in the nation of Israel, is to see that I too, for my sins, rightfully deserve God's judgment. I have mistreated other people. And I, I too deserve God's judgment. People of Israel need to be shocked out of thinking everybody out there, or I can understand how lots of people out there deserve God's punishment. They're rightfully his enemies, but not really me and my loved ones. I can't really see how that tracks. That's the first shock. And that's half of the big lesson of what it means to 
become a Christian and to understand the gospel. The first move is to understand that it's not everybody out there who has all the sins, but not me and my loved ones so much, but actually that I too, in my own way, have sins which, yes, they may look different to other people's sins. There's certain ways in which they are actually different. But there is an essence in the, in the core of them that mean they are a rejection of God, a rejection of his ways, and a mistreatment of others, and boosting up yourself at the expense of others. That's at the core and that's at the same in those sins. The New Testament counterpart might be, I can see the planks in everybody else's eye, but I can't see the speck in my own. So let's get into the text now, just so we can see that that's what's going on. And then we'll come out and we'll draw a couple of lessons from that. So, I mean, this is probably not something, again, if if you are just exploring the Christian faith, don't worry. You're probably the same as everybody now here, even uh, uh, people have been Christians for a while thinking, what on earth is going on with all of these names? And there's a lot of names. Uh, so I think it'll be most helpful if you if you um, follow along with me in the text. So if you've got a Bible open, uh, you'll be able to see, because uh, it'll, it'll be hard otherwise just to follow along with all the names. And, and, and in some ways, if you've got one of these blue Bibles, um, the way that it's sort of marked out, the, the structure, uh, the, way, the layout on the page helps us to to see what's going on a bit more. So just look down with me and we'll just be able to just get a little bit of a better lay of the land. So the first little portion near the big number one, that's, that's just um, introducing us to this particular prophecy. That's a, that's a message that's come from, from God through one of his prophets. Uh, and we find out that the, these are the, this is the prophecy from a man named Amos and he was a shepherd uh, in a region uh, in Israel called Tekoa. And he says there at the beginning in verse 2 that, that he says, the Lord, that's the God of Israel. He roars from Zion. He's presented him, he's presenting the Lord as a, as a lion who's, who's roaring. He's about to, he's about to act. He's about to pounce. Uh, and then what we have is we have six, uh, references to different nations that are all around Israel. So you see in verse 3 there, it says, for three sins of Damascus. Uh, and that's the first nation that's mentioned there uh, is, is Syria. And Damascus is the capital of Syria. So that's what he's first pointing, pointing out. Uh, and if we, if, we were, if we had a map, we'd be able to see that, that Syria is in the north. So he, first of all, he says, I've recognized, I've observed the sins of, of Syria, um, signified by Damascus. Uh, and he says three, even four. Three plus four is seven. It's a way of saying, I've seen that their sins are full, that, that completely full of sin. And so I'm going to send fire upon them. That's my judgment's going to come for them. And then if we just look down in verse six, he says, for three sins of Gaza. Gaza is in what was the Philistine nation. So that's in the south and over to the west. Uh, and then he goes and moves in verse 9 to Tyre. That's the another region in the north. Uh, and the next one in verse 10, uh, verse 11, sorry, is Edom. So he moves back down to the south and over to the uh, east. And then he says, uh, verse 13 is Ammon. So he goes back up 
a little bit further north. And then he goes to Moab, which is, a, is, is more directly on the west. And so you can see there that what he's done in this opening section of, of this word is he's, he's mentioning all of the different nations all around Israel. And at the time of this prophecy, Israel was in conflict with these nations all the time. They're constantly having battles and skirmishes on every front. The Syrians are constantly pushing in and trying to invade into their territory, take some of their cities. They're finding the same thing down in the southeast corner with Edom, who are, are constantly pushing up and take, having fights and, and doing raids and wiping out towns and recapturing them for themselves. So it, it's, it's territory of land that is constantly fought over. And so you can see how it would be understandable that for, for an Israelite to hear the opening words of this prophecy from Amos, when he hears, uh, for three th- sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not turn back my ra- wrath, they're thinking, yes, ah, oh, yes, finally, you know, come on, go, the Lord. We've had so many battles up there. We've lost so many soldiers on that front. Yes, do away with our enemies who are your enemies. They would just be saying yes. And they would be cheering along all the way. And because at that time, the nation of Israel was was actually in civil war as well. There was fighting between Judah and Israel. Those are two two halves of the the larger nation of Israel. There's even civil war. So even when when Israel hears, that's the, the group in the south here, sorry, the group in the north, when they hear Judah as well, they're thinking, right, okay, we, we've got the Lord on our side. And, and we didn't get to count, but you will have noticed there was, there was seven that were mentioned, seven different nations before that, that group of, um, that smaller group of Israel, the, the northern kingdom of Israel, were mentioned. So it's really easy for them to think seven nations have been mentioned. This is for all of their seven sins, it's complete, complete destruction. And then when you hear this is what the Lord says for three sins of Israel, even for four, you think, sorry, I thought that the track had ended. Why is it now keeping going? <laughs> and hold on a second, now it's about us. What's this about? We looked at the map, we saw all the targets... We were cheering it along, but and we were in the middle. We didn't realize we were the middle of the target. What's that about? That's the feeling. For the Israelites hearing this message, you can see now, we can see, can't we, that but that's a shock. Amos is trying to grab their attention, trying to grab these people's attention. Second thing we need to see is we need to see that he really does draw a connection between their behavior and the behavior of these nations. There's something that's similar about all the sins that he mentions about the nations. So again, let's look with me and follow along. You'll see this. Uh, in, for, for Damascus, in verse 3, that's the first nation mentioned, he says, why? What are these sins? Because she threshed Gilead with sledges having iron teeth. Gilead is another region not too far from uh, Damascus. It's in the north there, and it was a, an area that was had a lot of conflict over that area. But to thresh that region with sledges having iron teeth, I think those those threshing tools 
was it, it was like a board and they would put underneath it, they would make it coarse and they'd put the grain on the ground and they'd run the heavy uh, threshing sledge over the top of the grain. It would crack the grain to get the uh, husk off the grain. So, so to use that as a description, for I've, I've noticed what Damascus has done in the north there and they've done that with people. They've threshed Gilead, cracking them open. It's violence. But you see that violence runs all the way through. What happens in verse 6 with Gaza, the, the, the crime is because she took captive whole communities and sold them to Edom. That's going into a town, taking away the people, killing the men, taking the women and children, and selling them to another people group. Uh, verse uh, 9, for Tyre, again, because she sold whole communities of captives to Edom, disregarding a treaty of brotherhood. Can you see how what, what the concern is of the Lord and of, uh, that Amos is conveying is it's the way people have been treating people. You've been violent towards other people. The, the, the concentration is not on, their, on how they've been worshipping. It's not so much about their worship and about their idolatry it's mainly about those horizontal relationships, the way they've been treating other people. Um, look at verse 11. For Edom, what was it? It was because he pursued his brother with a sword, stifling all compassion. His anger raged continually. For Ammon, in verse 13, it was because he ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to extend his borders. Can you see how the theme is running through? It's violence and mistreatment of people. That's what the Lord has seen, and that's what the Lord is coming to punish. But what does he do when he gets to Israel in verse 6? He says, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. That, that's what we've thought about at the start already. My own financial gain and comfort at the expense of others. People who are righteous, who have been flagging, hey, there's, I think there's some things that we're doing in our business that are not ethically right. That's squashing the righteous. That's saying, I don't want to hear truth in, I don't want to hear truth in the public square. Squash that. And the needy for a pair of sandals. What's that? That's, I want nicer clothes at the expense of other people so they remain in poverty and struggling and striving. But I'm continually getting nicer clothing. They trample the heads of the poor as upon the dust of the ground. They're not actually tramping the heads of the poor, are they? There's not poor people in the street that they're stomping on. No, he's saying that behavior is the same type of behavior in its core, but it's different. They're more like a bear mauling people. You're more like a boa constrictor, suffocating, slowly squashing crushing, squeezing the life out of people. But both of you are building up your own comfort and power at the expense of others. And what we see in verse 8 is the focus is not so much on their worship and what we're doing in worship, but it's that they're worshipping, they've, they've bound up, they're religious people. But they're doing, they're going about their business on garments taken in pledge. That's garments that they will have taken from people who, 
who are, who are poor, who have had to borrow and they've had to give their garment as a, as a pledge to say that they're going to come and f- complete their, their obligations of payment. And they drink wine taken as fines from people because they've got the power. So that's what the, that's what we have here. That's what the, that's what's there before us in the text. But we need to, we need to step back now and we need to draw our, our point. Because we don't just want to, we're not just here to read about what Amos had to say to the Israelites. What's the principle? What point is being made underneath it? The point that is being made that Amos is, is, is getting across and that is a lesson for all of us is that it's really easy to see, and this is where we need to be shocked. It's really easy to see how it might be right for God to punish or judge Certain other people, I understand their sins, accept me and my loved ones. It's really easy for me to see the plank in everybody else's eye, but not to see the speck in my own eye. That's the lesson that we're drawing out. And we need to understand that lesson in order to understand the Christian message. You cannot receive Jesus if you do not see that you yourself deserve God's right punishment for your sins. If you can't see the ways that you yourself have put yourself first, pushed others out so that your comfort is at the expense of others, If you can't see that that is a great sin, that you have said, I'm more important than you. Even to those tiny little ways where you, just think about this with me, you just nudge in, you just push yourself in, in the car queue. It's a tiny one, isn't it? Let's just just unpack that just for a second. Why am I, when I do that, Why am I and my meeting or my activity, why is it more important than that person's? What made me think I should go in the line before you should go in the line? Right? When the toilet paper runs out, what makes me think I should run to get the toilet paper before everybody else should run to get the toilet paper? What are those tiny little ways where we just nudge ourselves in front? Really what we're saying at the end of the day though is we're saying, I'm actually more important than you are. And I'm willing, even in this tiny little way, with this tiny little bit of power, to cut you off for my own comfort, experience, pleasure, power, joy, whatever it might be. At essence there, that's the same thing. You've just not had great grand power to do it on enormous scale. But the essence of the thing is the same. We need to understand that we are deserving of God's punishment, not everybody out there. That's the first lesson and the first shock of understanding the gospel. Now, let's quickly look at one more factor, which is in verse 9 to 11. And this is a thing uniquely for the Israelites, and it's uniquely for Christians as well. For the Israelites, he actually says to them, 
out of all the people that should have understood how to treat others well, if out of all the people, you should have been the guys. He says, look, I destroyed the Amorite before them, though he was as tall as the cedars and strong as the oaks. I destroyed his fruit above and his roots below. He's saying there at that point, I gave you a land that wasn't yours. I I freely gave you a piece of land. And he says, I brought you out of Egypt and led you for 40 years in the desert to give you the land of the Amorites. I raised up prophets from among your sons and Nazarites from among your young men. Is this not true, people of Israel, declares the Lord. He's reminding them, he's saying, you were guys who knew what it was like to be oppressed. You were people who were oppressed in Egypt and you knew how hard that was. He's saying, out of all the people who should know better, you guys should know better. You've received my grace. You've been rescued by me. I brought you into this land. You've seen my power. You should have been people that knew I am a person who judges the wicked and a person who has given you undeserved grace. But you are the people who continue to mistreat others. And it's the same. I think there is a lesson for us even as Christians here on this front. I think the Lord would say that same thing to us. Out of all the people that should know how to treat others well. Out of all the people who should be the first to say to others, no, you go ahead of me. Not not my comfort at your expense, but your comfort at my expense. We should be of all people the people that, that do that. We should be the last of people to be using others to prop up our own comfort and gain. We've sang on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and I'm, we've got all the inheritance to come. We're the last people that should be clutching for every little bit of power and comfort and resource that we have at the expense of others. We're people who know what it was like to be afflicted by sin. How much more unfitting for us to be mistreating other people? We're the people who follow the Lord Jesus. And that, that is the second shock. That if we're going to understand the Christian message and we... Again, I say, if you are learning, come explore and I invite you to come and think more about this. The message of Jesus is the complete opposite to the mentality that we see with the Israelites here. Jesus is, and and here we need to pause for a moment. We need to pause and think that the man Jesus... That's God the Son coming to live as a man in in order to rescue sinful people and bring them back to God. The man Jesus was sinless, as John has already taught us this morning. He's sinless. Out of all the people who don't deserve punishment, he's the guy. He's the guy who really can say, everybody out there... All those people, they really are your enemies, God. And they really do deserve your judgment. They really have spoiled your world. And you're roaring from your throne and you're saying, I'm going to remove sinful people out of my kingdom to make my kingdom right. These really are your enemies. 
And if you've understood and you've grasped that first shock, you can put yourself in that category as well. But that man, Jesus, he's there and he really can say, everybody else really does deserve God's judgment except me. I really am the one person here who's not your enemy. Everybody else actually really is your enemy in thought, word and deed. They're opposed to you, but not me. And Jesus is on the cross. He's lifted up. And the nations are around him as he's being crucified. They've come from all different parts. It's for the part, it's at the time of the Passover, fe- Passover festival. There are the Romans. There are the Gentiles. There are the Jews. The nations are around him. And Jesus is, is on that cross and he can look out from that cross and he can see all the enemies all around me. All the enemies of the Lord who are railed against me. They all deserve God's judgment except me. And he says, on that cross, he looks out, and what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. The message of Jesus, and this is just as shocking as you thinking that you deserve God's judgment, is that Jesus says, take your target off all of them, That's what forgiveness means. Take it off them and focus it on me. It's not my comfort and building my power at their expense. It's actually let me give my comfort and give my power to them at my expense. Let me be exactly opposite to how they are. Let me not look out on all of them and say, Look at all the planks in their eyes. He says, take all those planks and stick it in the ground and all of those splinters and I will be nailed to those planks and bury their sin in my death so that I can make enemies friends. Paul says, for while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. While we were enemies, Christ died for us. He's reconciled us to make us friends. He has not looked out on the world and said, they all deserve punishment except me, and just left it at that. He said, they all deserve punishment except me, but I'm going to take that punishment so they can become friends. That's the message of Jesus. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you so much for giving your son. And Jesus, we, we thank you and praise you that you looked upon us and you gave us mercy. That you turned back the the judgment that is rightfully ours, and you took it upon yourself and were punished in our place, that you became an enemy so that we could become a friend. And 
we ask, as we prayed at the beginning, God, that you would enlarge our hearts and strengthen us by your Holy Spirit to grasp the depth of your love for us and your ongoing love for us, that you were willing to do that, Jesus. Not that it was pried out of your hands, but that you were glad to do it, that you loved us then and you love us now. And we pray that you would make us a people who can fully embrace these two shocks, that we deserve your punishment, but that you have taken our punishment, and that we would go and live then as free people for your glory. Amen.